Good morning, this is Bobby Newton, patrolman with the Cape Journal Police Department, and I will be your host for this episode of the podcast. This morning, we've got Dr. Shannon Cubria Ferris with us. Good morning, Shannon. Good morning, Bobby. How are you? Doing well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, you've already said I'm Dr. Shannon Cabrera Ferris. I am the co-responder through collaboration of Cape Girardeau Police Department and Community Counseling Center. And so we are embedded right here in the police department. And we're the mental health side, first responders for mental health for the entire city of Cape Girardeau. Yeah, and it's been great to have you guys on board with us. Uh, I know you guys haven't been here too long. When did y'all start? About February? Uh, so we started in uh, January, January, but February with you. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you've been around almost a year. We're closing We're in closing it's in. Hard to believe. As most everybody knows, we uh, had the 9-11 memorial yesterday. 22 years. Hard to believe it's been that long. Um, I know I was just a young lad in high school uh, when that occurred, but that impacted so many people. And I know you were kind of in the middle of it during that time. Mm -hmm. You want to talk a little bit about that? Some of us actually lived it, although Bobby was way younger than myself. And so, yeah, I was uh, actually uh, finishing uh, my last year of residency at uh, SUNY Albany in New York. Once I finished that year, uh, then I was Dr. Shannon Ferris at the time. So, uh, and a clinical psychologist. Uh, so I was there on the campus, uh, part of the counseling department. And uh, at the time, 80% of our students actually came from Manhattan and the Long Island area. And so when 9-11 happened, we were actually called, uh, we were already in a meeting and uh, and then the TV was rolled in. Today, there's like TVs on every wall in every room, uh, but a TV on wheels was rolled in and we actually watched the second plane hit the second tower. Um, and we were kind of confused about actually what was happening. And then all the sirens on campus went off. That was our alert uh, that we could be a potential target. And then shortly after that, uh, I, one of my responsibilities was not only to the individual department, but it was also to all the resident directors on campus. And uh, SUNY is like a city in and of itself. Right. So in each tower of the residency, residencies, they hold 2,000 students. And oh, I was wow. responsible uh, for two of those. I immediately went uh, we divided and conquered. So I immediately went to those residencies uh, to work with the resident directors and all of those students. Students were going very frantic. They were trying to call, uh, trying to get in their cars uh, to leave. It was pure chaos. And then all roads shut down, all uh, cell service, all those things shut down. Uh, and so I was at the time when uh, we were on heavy alert that the four towers of the residency could be hit. And so I worked with those students uh, and those resident directors to help those that were triaging, basically, those that were really a great concern, those who were having panic attacks or anxiety attacks, uh, what to look for, what were the signs for the resident directors to look for, uh, and the, there are A's on every single floor. Uh, it was a very big job, and I stayed on the campus without going home for three days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, definitely a lot of chaos. I can only imagine how it was right there in the city. You know, I remember getting out of school that day and going to the gas pumps and just lines of cars and we're a thousand miles away you mm-hmm. know um i couldn't even imagine new york being on lockdown mm-hmm. essentially and what was going through your guys's minds and you know how you were dealing with that honestly at the time um i was not thinking about myself we had a huge responsibility a large campus and i was really focused in on protecting the students, faculty, and that's why I stayed on. What I didn't know at the time until a couple days into it, the National Guard here 
was sent out. Right. And so people that I went to school with, I'd gone to church with, so dads and sons and daughters were all shipped out of here. Oh, wow. Yeah. So during that time, we lost 2,977 people, lost their lives during that incident. And we also lost 441 first responders from New York. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just astronomical numbers. It is. It, it's just hard to believe and hard to comprehend. Even 22 years later, you know, it's still something that resonates in my mind every year, you know, and I'm sure 90% of the people that were alive then know exactly what they were doing, where they were at, and what was occurring when that took place. Uh, it's just something that's seared in our minds that we'll, we'll remember forever. It's also a real testament of why those of us even now, even at our age, we remain to be first responders. Yeah. So this is a, this kind of a good starting point to what this podcast is going to be about for this week. We want to get some information out about mental health and not only with our officers and our first responders, but the general public too. They have stressors they have to deal with. They have incidents that they deal with that sometimes they need to know how to cope with that. This whole month of September is National Suicide Prevention Month, and it's a great time to talk about this. It's not an easy subject to talk about, but it needs to be discussed. Blue Help actually tracks uh, first responder suicides. They cover law enforcement officers, firefighters, EMS, dispatch, and even correction officers. They keep that data. Again, these numbers may or may not be 100% accurate because a lot of times they don't get reported, unfortunately, for whatever reason. On average, from 2019 to 2022, the average was 209 first responders committed suicide, unfortunately. That number is way too high. We're at 81 so far for this year of 23. It looks like we're on track to be about average or hopefully a little below average, but it's it's definitely staying on track, unfortunately. And if memory serves me right, police officers are the highest risk. They are, yeah. We definitely don't want to forget our military folks. That's right. But a lot of officers get out of the military and go to work for a police department. So it, they've got that double factor there. You know, officers, uh, any first responder sees more in their career, throughout their career, than what the average person does. That's just the facts. I'll go even further that we see crises daily and weekly that people don't see in their lifetime. And, you know, a lot of times the dispatchers, that is a key part of our first responder group, our first responder family. But a lot of times they get kind of overlooked, for lack of better terms. They deal with these crises day in and day out. They are on the line with them. They're talking to these individuals. And then they don't know what happened. There's no closing the loop. No. I mean, there are first response, uh, and they hear you know all the yelling and screams or talking to multiple people uh, that are in the crisis while it's occurring, and then they don't hear how it ends. And I don't think a lot of people, even officers, don't understand what our dispatchers go through unless they have sat in that seat. Fortunately, I have. Uh, I was a dispatcher for several years prior to becoming law enforcement. But it's just one of those jobs that, like you said, there's not any closure to it. Uh, they, they deal with it, and then they move on to the next one. They really don't have time to follow up with it. And for our own mental health, uh, since we're talking about this in Suicide Awareness Prevention Month, but we need closure. Yeah. Um, and in situations that we don't get closure, we got to seek it out in the best way we can. We may never get the end of the story from that situation or from that person, but we have to find a way to have that closure so that we can put it in its rightful place so it doesn't build or add to already stress that we have. Fortunately, there's a lot of departments, and I know our department's one of them, that is moving in the right direction. They're taking those steps that's needed. One closure for people, 
uh, for, for the individuals that are working these incidents. And two, they're taking the steps to prevent PTSD or stress or just stuff building up on, on, their, on their officers or their first responders. And I know we've started our peer support group, which has been phenomenal. And there's several other agencies that do it as well. It's a great tool in our tool bag that we can uh, dig into and utilize. Mm-hmm. We so, also have a wellness conference for that as well. We have a wellness conference every April. Uh, it's coming up actually April 22nd and 23rd of 2024 so mark your calendars for that for all first responders all first responders and their spouses that's right my wife deals with more than i probably do so (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we're taking a lot of the right steps in the right direction is there something more that you can think of that would be good when we deal with anxiety and stress we can talk all day about first responders and what we go through in each situation or case and how that may um, bother us by the end of our shift we may find ways uh, to do that well, we may talk with others who are on the scene with us, right? Uh, we may talk with our own peer support. In general, for the general public, when they have stress or anxiety, because many of us, you know, we have a lot of grit and we can just pull through. What pulling through means in in the mind, we actually have to process it out. We have to put it in its rightful place so that it doesn't accumulate and add uh, to stress. That later, um, if we don't put it in its rightful place, it will physically manifest itself. So then you have headaches, uh, shaking, sweating. What we talk about is being triggered and all of a sudden you're a hothead, angry and you caused an argument or something like that. And you're like, I have no idea where that came from. (laughs) There's no reason for me to be arguing, but now I'm all hot and bothered by it. And those are huge signs. Uh, You may have uh, stomach aches, you may eat more, you may seek out more comfort foods or your appetite starting to decrease and then definitely sleep. Uh, you may want to sleep more. You may not get enough sleep. For those of you that work shifts and things like that, it gets really burdensome already by the nature of the job. But then if you add stress onto that that you haven't put in its rightful place, it builds. You know, one thing I want to add on that is it's normal. It's Absolutely. completely normal to have those reactions to an abnormal event. Absolutely. You know, uh, that's where the stigma comes in at is people are like, well, what's wrong with this guy? He mm-hmm. obviously can't handle himself. Why is he doing this? It's completely normal. Even in this culture, you know, it's a sign of weakness. And I know that we're doing a great job here. We are. We're headed in the right direction. I totally believe you, and I'm totally confident that we will continue to head in the right uh, path here. But not all professions, not all cultures are like that. And the, even the common Joe Jam public, uh, it's still seen as a weakness that if you can't handle what's going on. No, your body just actually had a very natural reaction, and now your mind is trying to put it in its place. And so if you don't have some tools in your bag to do that, then there's going to be all these other side effects that are coming out of it, and then it's going to really look like uh, you can't handle yourself, and you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. Some people have a lot of tools in their handbag to work it out. Right. Uh, Others don't. Our others see it as a complete weakness and avoid it, run from it, shame it, label it, stigmatize it. And so we want to offer up to the community that one, as you said, it's perfectly natural. Anxiety is a perfectly natural human emotion. It actually alerts us to something that we need to pay attention to. Maybe we need to, we get alerted and we need to push the brake pedal to stop because the bus just stopped right there in front of us. Those things matter and that's our body's natural way of acclimating and adapting to any given situation that that we're given on any given moment. So what do you do with those? One, stop the stigmatization. There's nothing wrong with you. But you do need to lean in on it and go, okay, you know, when this happened, boy, 
I got really stressed about it or I started sweating all of a sudden or I felt like I needed to run and hide. And so that's your alert. That's your own your own individual alert system. And then when that happens, it's like, okay, what was that? And some people, a lot of people are able to put that in its rightful place. They will exercise. They'll take a break. They will. And I know that our, our society maybe looks down on this a little bit about breathing, but often we do forget to breathe yeah. in those moments. And so if we start taking deeper breaths, you know, in your nose and out your mouth, then it actually sends good signals. The oxygen sends good signals to your brain to start relaxing. Once we get more relaxed, then we can take care of it. Oftentimes, people forget about that. If they're breathing more, their anxiety goes down, now you can take care of it. Some people then will take care of it, like I said, like through exercise, or some people will talk it out with others. Even in the police department here, uh, we commiserate with each other. We talk to each other constantly, uh, for better or for worse, but we actually are doing a great job of working it out by talking with each other about it. Some people don't have that. And so I'd definitely recommend that, uh, that you do have at least one person that you can share things with. It doesn't necessarily have to be a therapist. I mean, it can be someone like even our peer supporters are each other right. who have been trained in it uh, that we could do that. Yeah, Bringing up the therapist, that's also a good avenue. I've sat and talked to a counselor on many occasions. It's one of the great things that we're also offering is the mental uh, wellness checkups. Once mm-hmm. a year, officers go through that. You can go you can sit in the chair and talk about what you done last week or sit there and not talk about anything. They're not going to force anything out of you, but it opens up a lot of that communication. Um, I can tell you on the other side of this, since you are talking to a psychologist right here, uh, is that we're not looking for those weaknesses or things like that. We're actually looking for things that may get in the way of you doing your job, things that may get in the way of you admission having a wife, which she's lovely, but in the way of, you know, your marriage or your children and addressing that, identifying that uh, so that it's no longer hidden and then it's in front of us and go, okay, how can we manage this better? And that's what it's for. Man, If there are things that become barriers, how can we manage them better? That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for weakness or to get you out of your job or any of those things. We want you better at your job and we want you to be committed to your job. And one way that we can get your loyalty and commitment up is by eliminating the barriers. It's definitely, uh, definitely something good that I encourage everybody to do, whether you're a first responder or just the average Joe, it's definitely nice to have that that opportunity. So a little bit more about what you do with KPD, and we're going to just kind of ease into this a little bit. Sure. Give you a little teaser, I guess. So we have the co-responder unit, and that is, like I said earlier, about being first responders for mental health. A lot of our calls uh, through PD uh, are mental health related in some form or fashion. What we do when we get those calls, we go out. A lot of times we go out with officers, but sometimes when we've already seen them before, we know what's going on. We'll just go out and jump the call so that you all don't have to do it. And, um, and so that's saves you all time. Uh, and in that process of, of helping people, we are triaging, essentially, assessing what's going on. Can we resolve it right then and there? Or do you need another service? A- and if you do, we want to get you connected with that service, uh, preferably right then, uh, if we can. Uh, sometimes uh, time permitting or business is closed. That can be a little tricky. Then we follow up with you uh, within 24 to 48 hours afterwards, see if it worked or not, uh, if, if that's needed, because it may already resolve after we connect you with that service. And in doing that, a lot of things happen. One, most of the time when police officers before we got here, um, they only had two options uh, if it was mental health related. One, you're going to go to the ER 
or if you did something possibly maybe illegal or something like that, you're going to go to jail. Right. And a lot of times, most of the time, what we have found out, which you already knew this before we came in, but now we can prove it to you with tangible data, is most people don't need to go to either. They do need often another service. And so then we take that on to try to connect them to that service. And by doing that, we actually get people the right kind of help that they need. And then the good service to the citizens of Cape Girardeau is that people aren't going to ERs that shouldn't be there. So you have less lines and faster service. And then people aren't going to jail. A lot of people might not realize is there's a cost to spending uh, 24 hours in jail. There's a cost uh, to going to the ER. And so then we lessen all those costs right away. And then the other bit is what we talked about earlier. Uh, we are also peer supporters for other first responders here in the city. You have access to us. There's no dog in the fight, if you will, with command or moving up promoting or anything like that. And sometimes we're easier with not having that role and then there's no judgments and we're working cases right along with you. And now we can't leave her out. You're not working alone. Oh, absolutely not. I have Rachel Alcantara, uh, who is a licensed social worker. And then we also have Corporal Will Rogers. And that makes up three-person unit for now. Um, and eventually we hope to expand so that we can cover at least six days a week, if not seven. But uh, we have to start somewhere. And now we are roughly eight months in. That's awesome. That's awesome. And again, that's just kind of a little teaser. This is part one. We're going to do part two in two weeks, and mm -hmm. we will uh, we'll discuss the crew or the co-responder unit uh, a little more in detail, kind of have some uh, backstories and, and some, what we do, some incidents yeah. you guys responded to, what you do, and, uh, and that sort of stuff. So make sure that you're checking that out. And all the other teasers of saving the city a lot of money. That's right. That's <laughs> right. That's, all, that's what we're all about, saving money, right? Oh, no. <laughs> what are some, and, and we'll leave you with this, is what, what are some good things that someone can do to make sure their mental health stays in check? You know, we can start with officers and then go into the general person. What, what would be some good mental health techniques? Well, I think some of these you're going to comment on. It's because you already talked about um, going to counseling, and it's not about, you know, every officer should go to counseling. As we mentioned earlier, first responders, I know, are officers because I work cases right along with them. They see a lot of traumatic things that a lot of people don't even see in their lifetime, or maybe one or twice, you know, two times, three times in their lifetime because they're a bystander or maybe it happened to them. We're, we're seeing those things. Our officers see those things daily, weekly, monthly. If they don't put those in the right place, then it just accumulates and it builds. And so to not underestimate what a crisis is and what trauma is, even though you may not be directly involved in that trauma, you're managing and taking care of the trauma. And then that trauma has an effect on you. The first thing for officers or other first responders is don't underestimate that kind of secondary trauma. You witnessed it, you managed it, and you may have done a brilliant job, but you do have to take care of it so that it's not affecting your sleep or creating anxiety or you're not seeing images and those images are staying with you for weeks on end. Th those are just warning signs. Hey, I'm not properly taken care of yet. So don't un underestimate that. Then you may need you know, at least uh, in, in the southeast Missouri, and we're building more of a peer support team that, you know, is all around, and we definitely have peer support here. You can go to your peer support, do that, uh, if not your own brothers and sisters on the forest right. right? And so to work that out. Secondly, those who are in relationships, your significant others, tell them, don't leave them out. And they may not want all the gory details, and most people don't. When we actually start telling the, the folks, while it may seem sensational in the beginning, um, most people are turned off by the extreme trauma that we see and manage. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to tell them in great detail. 
um, but we can tell them enough that it was bothersome. You know, I had work with this today. And that way it also keeps them in the loop instead of why did you get really upset right now? Or why did you just tune out? Did you not hear me talking? Oftentimes that's how arguments start, right? <laughs> did you know are you not listening uh, to me? And and your brain is shutting down um, because it's trying to process your shift and, and to let them know that that is going on. And that's another reason why it's so important to bring your spouses to those conferences. That way they know the warning signs. They know what to look for. They know why you're acting the way you are. You know, even if you don't indulge of what what happened that day or what happened last week or what is bothering you, they know ah something's a little bit off, and this is probably why. Such a great important point, Bobby, because our significant others often can relate to a point, and we forget that some of them, as you said, you know, uh, only our spouses come from military too. Or they have other jobs that have that stress level and they have to figure it out and learn how to manage that and, and things like that. And so when we're saying that, you know, hey, this is what I had, most of them can relate to a point and that part to that point is what we need. We often forget that. Were you not trained originally when you first were going up in, in the academy and all that you don't tell your spouse or your significant others nothing? Right. And what would you say today? Uh, that's completely false. <laughs> yeah. So keep them in the loop. You don't right. have to tell them all, all the bits, uh, but definitely the bits that you're struggling with, because that will also help them know that they are needed. You are communicating them to, uh, you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable and, and your spouse, your significant other, I would like to think that you would be vulnerable uh, with them. And if you do need to shut down, uh, recognizing that yeah. um, instead of having this argument over nothing, when all you needed was some time. All right. So I would say uh, to keep that mental health in check, go on vacations, right? Spend oh, yeah. that money, go to the beach, go to the mountains, go on vacation. Uh, but basically just find something that you're passionate about, something you enjoy doing, and something to clear your mind. I'm going to add to that. Uh, I do like your idea about vacations, and oftentimes vacations only come around one time a year. But also staycations, or you have a longer weekend, uh, find a way to be tuned out. Right. From the job. And so that you can be Bobby instead of Officer Bobby. Yeah. yeah. Uh, find any way to do that. And then that can help you with hobbies. And hobbies don't have to lead to cash. Um, sometimes they do, you know, but. Most uh, of my hobbies do. They, yeah. So um, I know who I'm talking with. Uh, but hobbies that, you know, when it's a true hobby, Bobby? Well, that, I was just rhyming there. Uh, is when you're so passionate about it, you lose time. That's a real hobby. So find something you're passionate about and stick to it. And if you can invite your family in on it, it's because I know you have children, but you know, if, if your children are at an age that they may want to be involved a little bit, that's fine. Just don't let them overpower that, override that, where now you're focusing on them as opposed to sharing. You right. can share, but you do need that time that is just for you. And that's a good, passionate hobby. Yeah. Do you have some recommendations? I like to fish. Okay. So I haven't even been fishing this year, so I've got to make some time for Which that. Which leads us to another one. Uh, I mean, fishing is a great hobby. Um, but being out outdoors, uh, being part of nature uh, in any way that you can, can help ground us yeah. and remind us uh, that we're not just the job. Something about the fresh air just helps everything. So Yes. And so do that often. And then uh, if you do have a family and if you do have friends, play, play, play. Right. Go and play. So I do want to leave you with the uh, Crisis Lifeline. You can text 988 or you can also call that, I believe. You can you? call and text yeah. 988. You'll never be placed on hold. You'll always get a mental health professional. There you go. Direct line to the crew, 573 
335-6621, and it is option number five. That's and right. you can speak with the crew if you have any questions about what they do or, or if you need their assistance. Again, this is just part one. We're going to come back with part two, and we're going to talk about the crew in a little more depth and give you some backstories. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you.